The Totally Super Podcast is coming to Geeks Radio. Justin and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. Search for Totally Super Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Totally Super Podcast 2017. Warning, the following contains plot spoilers and naughty language. That means explicit content. And the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad. It's just a show. Welcome to Pop Off. I'm Arthur. And my name is Justin, and uh, and the death of the innocents will bring you destruction. Their blood will be spilt in. Am I on speakerphone? <laughs> no, 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 no. You're you're not on speakerphone. That's, That's just rude. There's... I don't know if there's someone. Yeah, in the I don't room. know. If there's... Okay, we're going to talk about that moment in detail. Oh. Uh, yes. So today we are going to be talking about. Uh, the Cabin in the Woods. Uh, yes. Joss Whedon's. Uh, now, did Joss write this one, or did he yeah, just produce so, it? All right. Well, let's let's just jump right in. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I, I've done some of the research for this for this movie, and uh, and if you'd like, uh, I can go through the very very interesting and convoluted production history of this movie, which is starts off really awesome, gets crazy, and then ends up with a nice happy ending, which many Joss pro- projects do not. Um, all right. Convoluted production history in a couple minutes or less. Go. Oh, and before we start, can I can I uh, can I do a little public service announcement uh, here on this? Um, All right, public service announcement. Go. I am absolutely aware of the controversy surrounding Joss Whedon this week of the time recording of eight thirty twenty seventeen. Um, uh, I have heard arguments on both sides, uh, both on uh, his ex wife's side and on his side. Um, I am and, completely unaware uh, of this controversy. Oh, you haven't been so. Uh, so essentially, uh, his wife wrote a uh, an incredibly scathing um, uh, letter uh, about uh, his infidelity and that he's not a true feminist and blah blah blah. It's it's. I read it. It's um. It's pretty awful. Um, wow. Uh, people have come down on her side, saying saying I always knew this was going to be true. Other people said, you know, what kind of woman does does that? Another other people going, is that victim blaming? Blah 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 blah. Um, I will say that what Joss Whedon has not done is murdered babies. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and outside of doing something truly atrocious, you know, um, I am, you know, he's not Roman Polanski is my point. Um, yeah. I am willing, I, Roman Polanski's art, I'm not allowed to set on its own because I absolutely don't want to support someone who has been, you know, convicted of rape. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but outside of like, there's a threshold at which point I kind of don't care about the artist and the art, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, if we were having a, if this were a Joss Whedon podcast and we were talking about Joss Whedon and feminism, it would absolutely, absolutely be a worthwhile discussion to have regarding that. Um, mm-hmm. I remain a fan of the man as an artist. And outside of that, I wasn't there. And so that is sort of the public service announcement for those of you going, ah, oh, Joss, damn it, Joss. My only damn it, Joss, that I have is for killing people in movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and that is not to say that I support him or his ex-wife in this, uh, in this particular argument. It's just sort of none of my business. 
and that mm-hmm. is kind of all I want to say about it. All right. My um, quick follow-up so- to that in terms of the, yes, I agree, we should be talking, pri- we should primarily focus on the artwork that somebody puts out with, of course, the understanding that there is a threshold beyond which you simply cannot separate the two. Um, so, uh, based on that, I mean, regardless of whether in his personal life, uh, Joss Whedon embodies, uh, the virtues that we have been discussing, uh, throughout our talks on Buffy and Angel and Firefly and Serenity, the fact remains, these works have inspired us, uh, to better ourselves. I think, uh, you would agree with me in that. Um, and I would and say I think... not even accidentally, I would say that, you know, mm-hmm. Joss intended for these works to better ourselves. Yeah. That was the and of course of the they're. And they're flawed, both uh, artistically and morally at points, but uh, isn't everything. So, yeah. okay. With that so, being said, thank you for the public said, service announcement. So this is right. the really interesting... Uh, Convoluted production history, take two. Go! Yes, here we go. Um, uh, in um, Back in 2008, 2009... Um, there was a uh, a resurgence of, in movies. Right now, we're in the resurgence of like conjuring spooky movies. But back then, mm-hmm. um, it was all about torture porn movies, which is saw hostile. The idea being, you know, you're a regular person who gets caught in a horrific situation, where then you, mm-hmm. as the audience, uh, gets to watch uh, th- this character get uh, just just tortured and usually tortured to death. Oh yeah. Hostile human centipede. Yeah. Um, in in the worst of ways. Um, I pause for a moment. Let me go take care of the dog. I'm sorry. Oh, speaking of torture porn. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, as we listen to that, I don't know if I'm going to edit this section out because, Hey, (laughs) we all got, we all got shit. We all got (laughs) stuff we got to deal with. Um, uh, by the way, uh, for this, um, I just said the S word, uh, there's going to be profanity in adult. Yeah. It's where we're going to be talking about this one since it's rated Um, R and all that. I will say this about, uh, before we go any further, what are your thoughts on torture porn? Um, I, all right. My immediate personal reaction is that I despise it. I despise it with every fiber of my being. Um, I, then there is, uh, from an artistic standpoint, uh, I think there is a debate to be had about whether it is... Uh, oh, this will actually tie into my ratings system that I am developing for you All right. Uh, at the end, uh, which is that to me, the lowest rating that I can get a fil- give a film is not that it is uh, bad, but that it is actually, that it arguably makes the world a worse place to be in. Um, huh. That it actually, that, that literally... We are all of us worse off for this movie having been made or seen. Batman and, and Robin. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. That that is that is one up. That is that is this movie is really, really bad, and people should be artistically ashamed of themselves. So but there's not there's bad for ashamed. the world. There's bad for movies. There's just a bad movie watching experience. Yes. And then up from there, and then there's you know the top would be you know the movie changed the world and make people think differently about that. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. That's, that's torture porn. That, I would, uh, torture porn. I would probably put in that lowest category. Um, so that I, is my, I've feeling seen on it. good torture porn. Um, the first saw, which is not as torture porny, um, is actually a, a, a interesting little yarn. Well, and my thing I've about, seen, 
my understanding seen... of Saw, which I haven't seen, is that it actually it it has commentary in it on human nature and things like that, along with a lot of gore and stuff like that. So to yeah. me, that's not that's not porn. The instant that you have anything thought provoking, you remove the porn aspect of it. Um, although it's probably still far too gory for my taste. Yeah, the the the. I think hostile is the, the hostile is specifically um, just let's see what horrible things we can do to people. Yes. Um, and torture porn is the is the topic of conversation in this movie a lot. And we're going to talk about it. Um, so essentially uh, feeling that uh, feeling that it was kind of bad. Um, they. They. Uh, and let me let me read this. Um, uh, this is uh, what Drew Goddard uh, wrote uh, back in um, a, a letter, and I can't tell where it was, or I guess it was Joss. Um, he says, on another level, it's a serious critique of what we love and what we don't about horror movies. I love being scared. I love that mixture of thrill, of horror, that objectification, identification thing, of wanting definitely for the people to be all right, but at the same time hoping they'll go somewhere dark and face something awful. The thing I don't like is kids are acting like idiots, the devolution of horror movie into torture porn, and do a long series of sadistic comeuppances. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so with that in mind... Uh, uh, Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon, who had worked together on Angel um, and Buffy, but mostly on Angel. Drew Goddard actually ran Angel for a while. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's now when, running pretty much the Marvel television universe right now. Uh, uh, yeah, at the very least, Daredevil has been sort of his uh, um, his thing. Um, they went into, essentially went to a hotel room for three days uh, and co-wrote the script and then rewrote each other um, in each other's presence with the idea of, we want to make a horror movie that is both one that we would enjoy, but also comments on what has happened uh, with horror movies. I have heard this um, film described as both a love letter and hate mail to the horror film at the same absolutely. time. Um, I love the idea of these guys. You know, it's interesting when you write a horror movie in Hollywood, it's often Hollywood comes to you and says, hey, you want to write a horror movie? Or somebody's trying to get into the movie business, so they do horror. Or they try and do, like, mm-hmm. this is guys going, hey, Guys who don't normally do horror going, hey, we should do horror. Wouldn't that be amazing to try? Okay, let's do it. Let's go to a hotel room for three days. Don't sleep. Jack mm-hmm. up on coffee and come out with the script on you know on Monday. Yeah, um, I love the idea of that. That the crackling energy that 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 connotes um, mm-hmm. uh, gets me. So they went in. They got thirty million dollars to make this movie, and they shot it uh, from March to May in two thousand nine. And it was slated for release on February fifth, two thousand ten, by MGM and United Artists. But Ooh, MGM there's United a delay Artists, in there. Uh, yeah, MGM and United Artists uh, um, got uh, then thought it was good enough to make a three D conversion of it, but then started having financial difficulties. Went un- underwent new management, almost shut completely down, and this movie was shelved for years. This movie was never going to come out till like 2012 is when it came yeah. out, right? In 2011. Now keep moving. The movie was shot in 2009. It was going to release in 2010. It was shelved in 2011. Lionsgate picked up the d- distribution rights. And then finally, the film came out on March 9th, 2012 at South by Southwest and eventually made $66 million on its $30 million investment. Although um, I would bet that Lionsgate picked it up for way less than the $30 million that it cost to make. Mm -hmm. Which also explains why in 2012 you have Chris Hemsworth 
in what uh, is a low budget, essentially a low budget horror flick, even though yeah, his well, star was massively on the rise at that time. I know. Um, it's it is, and also you know how he was in Red Dawn. Like oh after my god, Thor? that's right. Yeah, yeah. Red Dawn also was one of the two movies that that was going on. With. Yeah, that makes sense because that's not the. I can't see myself, you know, like, hey, I just got cast as Thor and this, and I just finished this project. What's the next project I should do? Huh? Red Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. No. That well, looks these good. Were, <laughs> these were all part of the MGM shutdown. So that is uh, the production history uh, on Cabin in the Woods. It came out. Um, it currently enjoys a. Uh, I think it's a ninety-eight percent. On Rotten Tomatoes, that high. That's that's awesome. Uh, critical response. Uh, sorry, ninety-two percent. Still, still um, phenomenal. Um, average rating of seven point nine out of ten, which is great. Um, a bunch of awards uh, in from sci-fi magazines, um, and then uh, and then non-genre stuff like the Toronto Film Critics Association and the San Diego Film Critics Society. Lots of nominations uh, for uh, mostly best screenplay. Um, mm -hmm. Which is, I can understand that being the case. So that, my friend, is the production history, the crazy production history of Cat. That is crazy. All right, let's see. I'm going to try to dive into and come up with a quick synopsis here for it. Oh, good luck. Um, all right, here we go. Time me on this. I'm going to skate over a lot, but that's okay. Just basically, it's a refresher for people. So there's five kids who are going on a camping trip in uh, the cabin of one of their cousins. For the weekend, for little do they know that they go ahead. I, oh, two I'm sentences. Sorry. I can't, I can't, two I can't, I, two I, sentences I, in Tim Payne. I know. I'm sorry, but for the sake of the people listening, and really myself, because I can't remember anybody's names, let's just call them the athlete, uh, the brave. What well, you've got? Oh no! Wait, here we go. You've got Kurt, the athlete. You've got Jules, the whore, uh, which I think is the actual archetype that they use for it. Um, you've got uh, Holden. The scholar, you've got Morty or Marty, I forget which, the fool, Marty. and then you've got Dana, the the virgin. Yeah. Of course, um, I just watched it this afternoon, so I can't yes. really claim credit for that. So anyway, so you've got those five people. They're going on this camping trip. Little do they know that they are actually being drawn into a ritual uh, that has been done periodically since time immemorial in order to appease the dark old gods that slumber below the world very Lovecraftian. Uh, and there's a facility uh, headed up by, uh, <laughs> I want to say headed up by Josh Lyman, but that's not true, headed up by Bradley Wilford, Whitford, and uh, some other guy. Um, and the purpose of this facility is to engineer essentially the archetypical plot of a horror film which appeases the gods below. Uh, all sorts of shit happens. Uh, the uh, they go into a cellar, and among which are a number of accoutrements, all of which could summon up some horrible death for them. They summon up the Buckner family, which is this old, twisted, sort of hills-have-eyes kind of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre family. Uh, there is much blood spill. The characters do die. Uh, Jules goes first, and then uh, we think Marty does, and then Kurt, the athlete, uh, dies in a fantastic, epic, dramatic, heroic leap across a canyon where he flies into an invisible shield and then falls a long, long way. Uh, then Holden dies, and then uh, it looks like everyone has died except the Virgin, which means that the ritual has been completed, 
everything is great, everyone is celebrating in the facility. Uh, but then it turns out that, oh no, Marty actually was still alive, because even though his pot was supposed to be laced, uh, the chem people missed a stash. So he has actually stayed paranoid and is aware of what's going on. He and Dana find their way into the facility, uh, where they encounter just a host, a stable, if you will, of all sorts of stuff uh, from our deepest nightmares, or rather, what our nightmares were created from. Uh, they figure out a way to release all of these beasties on the facility. There is a fantastic, gory, gory bloodbath. Um, and then they make their way into the depths of the facility where they come, where they enter a ritual room, and they realize that the five of them have been part of this ritual. They have been playing archetypes. And then the director of the facility, none other than Sigourney Weaver herself, appears to explain Yes, because this is the only way to keep the old ones from coming back. So either you have to die, or the entire world gets annihilated. Uh, at first it looks like Dana is going to shoot Morty in order to fulfill the ritual, but then she is attacked by a werewolf. Uh, one of the Buckner family attacks the director, and they both die. And essentially, the movie ends with Dana and Marty just both uh, Dana's bleeding out they're both uh, sitting there smoking a reefer uh, commenting on the end of the world and the very last thing that we see is this mammoth fist punching its way through the cabin in the woods and blotting out the moon and then there's a blackout the supposed end of the world although I will go I'm going to be making an argument that I made all day on Facebook Okay. Oh God, that argument. Yeah. Okay. Whether that that argument this... sounds like one of those things that. All right. Your argument about is whether or not that well, is well, part of on. the let's Buffy. Get there. Let's get. Let's get there. Let's get uh, there. Spoil it. I want to enjoy this movie for itself, not to link link it in with. Okay. No. 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 That's <laughs> cl clearly. Clearly, you have realized why I have not commented on your Facebook posts on oh, this argument. I thought argument. you were just waiting for to 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 shout your agreement here on the podcast. Well, I've been uh, waiting to shout something, but. Um, uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> my so, friend so this synopsis is interesting hearing you try to do the synopsis because this is mm -hmm. two movies right i mean it you is could it is absolutely the... never cut to the stuff happening underneath and there is a clear protagonist beginning middle end and and finale to the movie and mm -hmm. and and you could there's a version of this movie where you could cut out all the stuff underneath and there's a whole movie there but and there's all... and interestingly practically by its definition that movie would be really inane well i think at the end it would be like this bizarre twist at the I well the end it would be a bizarre twist yeah but everything up till that point would be because the very nature of the ritual is so cookie cutter um yeah but i still i think that movie is along with being a slasher movie and 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 all the other kind of movies it is it's also a very paranoid thriller i mean there are only you know halfway through that movie when the cameras are discovered in the room by Marty. So, mm -hmm. so that movie where it's like, what's going, and then they discover the shield and then they discover Like if they just never cut underneath, but we were told, you know, about everything. Uh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that could where, kind of work. Um, and then there is another movie going on. Um, it's a short film, an office drama about a mm -hmm. bunch of people in an office going through what they think is, 
you know, a common everyday occurrence, let's say, you know, the way surgeons just go to work and do this incredible work. And, and, and when you're done, I want to talk about the nature of that common everyday occurrence, because I think it's a, it raises a fascinating uh, philosophical discussion. But continue. Um, but, but uh, you know, I was interesting today uh, with my older son. I had a, a, a conversation about the ethics of drone warfare, um, mm. which is, you know, essentially the idea is now... Uh, to conduct a major, uh, a, you know, on one hand, warfare is warfare. Does it really matter if there's a person sitting in the plane firing the missile or sitting in a cubicle firing the missile? Cubicle does soldiers. The, yeah. Does it really matter? Um, there's an argument to be made for that. Like, like, of course you would do the other because ultimately it's the same. But the flip side of that is, yeah, but then you have people who are that's just what they do. They wake up and they get to work at nine. They say good morning. They drink their coffee. They you know, fly three sorties, you know, they have lunch, they fly three more sorties and they go home at the end of the day. You I've know. read a couple quick thoughts on that. Um, the first, uh, I've, rec- I've read an article, it was a while ago, about how in some instances, the PTSD from that or the, the negative psychological effects of that are actually worse than the people who go out on a tour. Because, because there's it's... this, when you're, on, when you're on tour, it is a different world. It is literally, you are somewhere else and then when you return, you leave that world behind. Um, but when you, like you say, when you kiss your wife and kids and kids goodbye every morning, go to the office, kill somebody, and then come home for dinner, that is a whole other level of fucked up that, uh, that gets to you really fast. There's, and the second thing is uh, there's a wonderful book by Terry Pratchett, who I recommend everyone read. Uh, called Small Gods, and one of the scenes in it is in a torture chamber, sort of it's a medieval fantasy setting. And the book says, the scariest thing in this room is not the rack, it's not the Iron Maiden, it's not the hot pokers or the knives. The scariest thing in the room is the mug on the desk that says World's Best Dad. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think that's the... The, the ability to dehumanize and look it happens I work in I work in a field um uh in my day job or night job or whatever it is when I'm doing mm-hmm. it um uh where human suffering is part of what I see um and I have seen plenty of people who are just used to it um and you kind of have to be it can't yeah. always it can't always be devastatingly horrible for you you can't survive that way yeah you can't go work 12 hours three to four days a week and and Mm -hmm. every time you see someone hurting it just destroys you um because you just can't you you, the psyche can't take that um the flip side of that is i see people for whom it doesn't affect them anymore um Mm -hmm. And that's a hard and, you know, you know, we've all had people I work in healthcare. We've all had people in healthcare. We just get that that sense that like they don't really care. Well, you've just shut down on humanity entirely. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I think it would be hard. Um, and I think that 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 drone warfare, dis- that drone warfare discussion is kind of the discussion being had in the second movie going on where with it's one. A- with one change, I, I agree with you completely on that. What I was, as I was watching it this time through, that was certainly what I thought the first time through. As I was watching it this time through, I realized there's another variable at play here. And that is, in the real world, uh, you and I, we live with a, um, you know, we live with a mindset that to varying degrees is based off of sort of the Judeo-Christian ethic. 
um, you know, with very, you know, and everybody, just about everyone in the country has varying degrees of, you know, of certainty about what kind of afterlife or what kind of supernatural existence there is out there. Now, but that ranges from... Or lack thereof. Um, from or like, and that's the thing. Yeah. It ranges from there is a all-loving God who is going to take us to heaven and everything's going to be fine. So like that ranges from, let's call that like plus 100 to zero, which is atheism, uh, which is essentially there's nothing beyond death and everything, and then we just stop. What this is, the concept of evil old God, and this is why I say it's very Lovecraftian. It's very, it conjures up the, the feelings of Cthulhu and all of the Lovecraft old gods. This is negative. We're, this is below atheism. This is not just nihilism. This is, there are, like, the universe is founded on this concept of dark, evil things that are just perpetually being kept at bay by us doing evil things in a specific order. And let's and and, be clear, I, I want to clarify your statement, because I think what you mean is, is it's below atheism on this scale of 100 being loving God, atheism being no God, and this being evil God. Not below atheism as in, atheism is the bottom, and this is even below that. Oh, no, 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 not at all, not at all, no. Um, thank you for clarifying. Yeah, the, uh, and so, what, um, so what... You know, if you know that with certainty about the universe, that that's the way that things are, um, it is even more understandable that you can then just take a very, that would drive anyone to a very twisted view of things. Um, you know, and the, uh, I mean, to know that for certainty is, uh, you know, they'd have to do anything they could to fend off the hopelessness. Sure, sure. And I, and, and I see that, um, that is the second movie going on, though. There is, I think there's a mm-hmm. version. You'd need to shoot some more scenes for that movie. But mm-hmm. I think there is a story there about two guys who go to work and they think everything's going to work out fine. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is just another day at the office for them. And then, and but then, they would have gotten away with it, too, except for these damn kids. <laughs> and, and, then, and then things go horribly awry. These guys mm-hmm. who have the best of intentions but are willing mm-hmm. to do horrible things for, these for the greater good. Yeah. And the feeling of, and that's why what the drone warfare comes to mind, that 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 you feel like they're doing it for the greater good, but they there's only one moment where you get that they they see this as people, the, these people as mm-hmm. people. Um, yeah. Is uh, that the tequila is my lady scene? It's the the moment right before that. Also the mm-hmm. moment where, um, where Jules dies is... Um, it's sort of like, oh, show us the boobies. And then there's a moment of the there it happens. Then, and when on that death, you get this sense of there's a graveness in that moment. But mm-hmm. other than that, they are. Partying. Oh, yeah, that moment. Yeah, they're partying mm-hmm. while Dana is, you know, being. And part of that is, I think, the the uh, the jossness of it, like you described in uh, I think it was our serenity discussion, like the moment like this is a quintessential joss moment. Um there are so many Joss moments in oh, this yeah. film. It actually, what this film really was, it was like a return to Buffy season one, where it was just like, because this entire movie is about taking tropes and completely subverting them, standing them on their head. It was, uh, I mean, I got to say, it was just a delight. It was like, um, it was just like watching, uh, 
the the very early work of Joss all over again. See, and I would say that it seems right in line with Angel season five, um, uh, specifically like 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 the like the moments in Wolfram and Hart very specifically where Angels Angels like it's not like I've made a deal with the devil and the devil walks by racquetball on so, Tuesday okay, racquetball on yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, um, it's I, I need to say just uh, just to talk about that the. Uh, you talked with Serenity about like how you absolutely loved the opening of Serenity. Uh-huh. I adored the opening of this film. It's the so credits... not what you're expecting. At yeah, all. well, that's the thing. So the credits start with this dark. You know, you just see blood pooling everywhere, and like these, por- like these paintings of old sacrifice and ritual. Um, and then suddenly you're in a facility that, you know, in many ways is sort of like this 1950, 1960 nuclear bunker. And it's just this conversation about, you know, uh, women and, ch- and child-proofing their houses. And, you know, Bradley Whitford, um, and I really should learn the other guy's name. I feel terrible because he was this awesome. This is Richard Jenkins, um, who has done Richard Jenkins, thank quite you. a lot. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I don't doubt it. I, it's only, I, I should say, Richard Jenkins, it is only because I'm a massive West Wing fan that I know Bradley Whitford. So it's, it's nothing against you. Well, you know what Richard um, Jenkins is? I'm looking at his, at his like, filmography. He does like stuff like all the time, um, most of which I haven't seen. He was in, on Six Feet Under um, a lot, but he's, he's essentially in everything. For just a little bit, he is that guy who's the reason he seems so familiar is because you've mm-hmm. seen him. Oh, he saw him. Yeah, he's never. You saw him. He's he's uh he's the dad and stepbrothers. Okay. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh. He just shows up kind of in, in all the stuff. Yeah. So, so so you have is, so you have Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins, and then they get on this little tram thing, like this little cart, and they just start driving through, and it is the most innocuous. It is office space right now. And then just in literally mid-conversation, suddenly massive, huge orchestral hit, bum, 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 as, uh, the and then woods. Cabin in the Woods flashes. It is the most, it is in that moment, they are taking two genres and slam them together like a freight train. And that is essentially what this movie is. Yeah, that, the opening of this movie reminds me so much of the opening to Dr. Horrible, um, in that it's just like, Here's some Joss dialogue. Here's some Joss and probably Drew Goddard. I mean, Drew Goddard knows how to mm-hmm. write in Joss's head. And this, for as much as this is a Drew Goddard film, it's in Joss's wheelhouse. This does not oh, seem yeah, to me like is... Daredevil. No. Um, um, and 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 let's not forget, it's not just the two of them. Amy Acker's there too to remind yeah. us that it's a Joss film. That it's a Joss film. <laughs> Amy Acker playing the head of the science department in a in a in a giant pseudo government uh organization designed mm-hmm. to both worth work with and prevent the destruction of the world by ancient yeah. evil gods. Yeah. Talk about yeah. being typecast. Yeah, seriously. Um, uh and we'll get there because that's I it has to be talked about. But you're right. It starts off as as sort of this this you know little office drama. Um but there are even underpinnings there in terms of the 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 things that are being said and the like through what are throwaway lines they're throwing out the themes of the film there at the same mm-hmm. time um nothing in this opening is 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 an accident um mm-hmm. and then we meet our our main characters the five who are all of them and this is i uh, upon rewatching this i loved this every single one of them is likable 
They are all smart. They are riffing on each other. They are. They like, are not. They are they not. Are. We are not the, who yeah, we they are. are. Yeah, they are not the five archetypes that they become. Which... Let's start with the Virgin, who we see in in pretty much the tightest fitting pair of underwear that I've seen in a movie. It's it's she's almost naked down there, um, talking about how she's sleeping with her professor, mm-hmm. where she then where where she then meets with her uh meets with her roommate who is dressed more conservatively than she is. And her roommate's boyfriend, who is absolutely book smart and and arguably like like further along academically than Dana, mm-hmm. um, who then tosses a football to a guy who is also supposed to be the jock, the fastest hands. Like yeah, he is. He is. He is a jock. And then you're met by Marty, who, <laughs> along with being the funniest character in the movie, is also the smartest everything he says and does is smart and insightful marty really Uh, he kind of annoyed me the first time through but this time i really liked him because i realized it was the like as we know there's multiple kinds of stoners um yeah and he was the best kind which is the you know yeah some of his theories and everything were out there but he was everything he said was thought-provoking and And, right and (laughs) And correct So it was, uh, yeah, the, and then gradually, there's no, with the exception of the moment where Kurt says, no matter what happens, we stay together. And then they spritz some gas in his face and he's like, nope, I was wrong. We should split up. With the exception of that moment, the change that comes over all of them is subtle. Um, you know, suddenly Kurt says, you know, a, a and also here, Jules like, desire Jules desire to to strip down in the woods. There is also, you know, well, they, by the they, way, I mean, but by then that's a she's been a total change at that point. Yeah, like yeah, she's big. yeah. Uh, and interestingly, um, talking about Jules, uh, so okay, we've got to talk about Mordecai um, in this, yeah. which you referenced at the beginning, because that so, is well, before to we me, jump that to Mordecai, is, I just want to say my my point on these characters that I got this mm-hmm. time around on watching is that they're telling you that the Virgin is is her her sexual her sexual habits are on the outlier she's sleeping with a professor um yeah and and the the whore um while fun and flirty is uh is absolutely uh supportive and the one who's going hey you got to put this away and just kind of like you know start thinking about other things the mm-hmm. the the brain the, the brain is a jock the jock is a brain is a brain and, and the fool is a is a philosopher they're yeah. all not these characters that they then become, and it's yeah. Although on the first watching, I, it would I have to say the uh, the fool, you know what the the thing is to me the fool still was the fool except in a Shakespearean sense. Um, the fool in all of the Shakespeare plays and like the archetype of the fool is also the one most prone to making very keen observations about the world. Um, but I think the way that they meant the fool is much more in the the modern sense of, you know, the the Marlon Wayans of uh, sure, yeah. Uh, and also, it's worth noting that the 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 fool becomes the hero by yes. the end as well. So it's 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 all. It would be hard to catch it the first time around, um, but once you know 
what these characters are supposed to be by the end, what you've seen. It's a lot easier to spot, yeah. And then you and you restart it again, and you go, oh, listen to what they're saying. It's way different than, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, yeah, Mordecai. Yeah. So Mordecai is, uh, okay, for me, absolutely the most Joss moment in this movie. The... Because it, because the dialogue, the whole they've come to the the lambs have come to the killing floor. They do not know what they face. It's, it's, it's quite eloquent. It's dripping with drama, um, and would totally work in any other film. And then just the undercut of the I'm on. Are, am I still on speakerphone? Uh, yeah, him, him that going, is that's the, so rude. You never know who's on. That is, yeah. It's just like that's so rude. <laughs> it's just a. It is uh, like I could use that three minute scene. If somebody said, what is Joss, like, if, if I had to summarize Joss Whedon in a nutshell for me, I would play that three-minute scene. Yeah, no, that, um, that is at, that and the tequila is my lady. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. He calls, uh, uh, he calls, uh, it, one, I think he says faggot first. Um, I think that comes out of his mouth first, but then mm-hmm. he calls her whore. Now, that's, and that's the thing that I want to address, because when I was watching it at first, and he said, uh... You know, because, well, first, Marty, essentially, you know, he said, Mordecai says, uh, you know, something about the war. Jules asks, which war? He says, you know damn well which war. And then Marty essentially comes to her defense with something undercutting by saying, would that involve blue and gray soldiers? And I loved this. It reveals a lot about Marty because Mordecai turns to him and he's like, are you sassing me, boy? And in any other film, I could see the character going, oh, no, sir, no, not at all, being very passive-aggressive about it. Marty instead was just like, you were rude to my friend. Uh, Marty already shows that he has courage to actually, you know, step up to protect. And then Mordecai... So go on. uh, And then Mordecai says, what, the whore? And at first, when I was watching this, I thought this was similar to... uh, I got the same feel as I did uh, when Loki in the Avengers calls Mulan Quim. It calls Black Widow Mulan Quim. It is something that just that just and other people do sometimes, which is the I'm going to show just how bad this person is by having them revert to using like a really just very coarse, very foul uh you know, word against a woman. Um and I actually Nine times out of ten, I don't think it's necessary. And at first, as I heard that, as Mordecai called her that, I was like, ah, see, you just took it a little bit too far, though. You could have achieved that without that. And then I realized what he, and then at the end of the film, I realized what he was doing was he was referring to her by her archetype. Oh, yeah, because uh, when, he, me, calls, re- when redi- he calls the place, he says, the fool almost. And the again, fool already, yeah. You go, you're, he's calling Marty a fool. Mm-hmm. But no, she's the whore and he's the fool. Yeah, so that that redeemed that moment for me. Yeah. Um. So then, uh, you get your first real glimpse as they go through uh the tunnel and you see the bird fly into the force field. Mm-hmm. Um. That is like oh, I missed the, the bird flying into the force field. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So the the bird the bird flies into the force field. That's the one place uh before the end where the two worlds uh collide. Um, I don't know how to continue through sort of talking about it because we're, we're you know, we've I got think, the two I mean, stories. There's, there's so much to parse here. I think we, we've gone over our overall thoughts with it. Um, I think from this, uh, here's well, I my, do want to talk about my favorite scene. Wait, and um, that's the thing. Let's, let's, let's just delve into specifics. What jumped out at you? 
All right. The um, all the stuff in the cabin is great. There are two things that jumped out. One, the scene with the mirror where he's looking through and he's watching her. Um, mm-hmm. uh, is such an honest. The, there's everything about that scene rings true to me. Yeah. Um, if I'm with my super hot, brand new sort of acquaintance friend who I'm sort of supposed to be set up with, and and I see her, and within 10 seconds, she's starting to take off her shirt. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have the devil and the angel on my shoulder, the way that he yeah. says that he does. And where the, he's uh, like, he, yeah. he grabs and the, his chin, the, he's the like, moment where you, oh boy, this is happening. This is yeah. the, the, the moment where you bang on the mirror to let her know that there's something up is going to come five seconds later than you think it should. Yeah, and it is five seconds later, but even his face where he's like, oh, okay, no, I got to do the right thing. Hey, 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 hey. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like it's it's with regret that he does it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does it. But then I do really love the turnaround is as soon as they switch rooms, she immediately turns and she's like, oh, oh, and then she but watches then it's him. it's interesting because, and I had this conversation with my wife, um, that uh, that it even deals with the way that men and women look at each other. Not not all men and all women, but look at each other mm-hmm. um, when it comes to what we look at. You know, he's looking at total package her, and that's the that's the you know that's all well and good. But then he's about to see titties, and that's mm-hmm. so that's the thing that really tempts him is do I get to see titties? And then he stops it. She sees oh yeah total package but when he starts pulling down his pants she's like oh no 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 it's just interesting that for him mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's very there's some it's truth. like i want to it's like i want to see this but it's wrong and for her it's like oh no 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 i don't want to see that i wanted to see everything except this <laughs> yeah um this was <laughs> this interesting so, yeah. um and so that everything about the scene was really really interesting to me the other thing that i really love is i love 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 as a fan of horror, and I am, I've seen a lot of horror. I have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you are the. I mean, we should we should let like Justin is the horror master in this. Uh, the uh, yeah, this is it. It is not my genre. Old horror, and I want to be clear: old horror stuff. Uh, everything mm-hmm. being referenced in this. Um, yeah. uh, I actually, so, I have the list of the whiteboard pulled up. Do you? Because uh, I think, I, like, I honestly felt, I was like, I think possibly one of the best thing we could give to our listeners is the list of everything that's on the whiteboard. All right. So I want you to say the whiteboard. And every time you read something that I feel like I've seen enough of to be familiar with the Ooh, genre, I, I'm just going to say, it. I'm just going to say the word ding. So slow down. Okay. Uh, give me a space in between because there's a little delay. And I'll say ding when, when you list one that I feel like I know pretty well. Go. That is effing brilliant. Werewolf. Ding. Alien Beast. Oh, ding. Mutants. Ding. Wraiths. Um, only recently, but yes. That's mostly like zombie the movies that are on now. <laughs> yeah. Zombies. Well, yeah. Zombies. Yeah. Reptilius. Not so much. I know it's swamp things, but no, never. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clowns. Ding. Witches. Ding. Sexy witches. I have them in Ninjas versus Monsters. Ding. Yeah, I I, lo- I love that they've got witches and then sexy witches right after that. Uh, demons. Uh, ding. Hell Lord. Not so much. That's more. That's more Lovecraftian, and that's that's. Well, I mean, no. Well, to me, Hell Lord is uh, that's Pinhead right there. Really? 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's who they're referencing specifically. Because they do reference, I mean, they... There's a clear possi- Pinhead reference. There is a stuff. clear, the, the most clear reference in the movie is, is to Pinhead. Pinhead. And yeah. to me, that would be Hell Lord. But, well, uh, and, but yeah, to, no, and, that could, that could and, mean a lot. And Evil Dead. Evil Dead is, the, is clearly the other yes, thing. Yes, very true. Okay, like, so shot, after Hell Lord, sometimes. Yes, yeah, so. <laughs> there's Angry Molesting Tree. Dig, that's, that's specifically Evil Dead. That's oh yeah, you're evil. right. You're right. In the first that is. Evil Dead movie. There is an angry tree who rapes people. Yeah, and, yeah uh, and I, I'll bet. I'll bet they wanted to write the word raping, and they're like, yeah, yeah, that was a good call. It's All absolutely right, so yes. Angry molesting tree, giant snake. Eh, eh, yeah. Um, deadites. Oh, ding. I'm that's that's. Sure it says deadites. Yes, yes, it does. It says the word dead. Deadites is a specific copyrighted term for evil. Is dead. it? Yeah, they're the oh, deadites. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> Kevin. And <laughs> I have Kevin an uncle me, Kevin. That is, I, I, I might take, I might take back what I said about that previous Joss moment because the fact that there's just Kevin on the whiteboard is the most magnificently Joss moment. I and, love it. Uh, yeah. Then you've got uh, mummy. Uh, ding ding yeah the bride yeah i know it's, the bride it's more like J-Hor. the bride is like old school old school yeah uh, it's it's yeah, and it's or, or or more like j-horror like like the japanese horrors is sort of that so okay. oh yeah very true uh the scarecrow folk uh ding for me that's jeepers creepers yeah but is that not also sort of the the, the redneck zombies no, that's uh no, you're thinking of a redneck torture zombie redneck torture family, which yeah, comes that's later. later. So okay, no, I haven't okay. seen Jeepers Creepers. Is it worth it? Um Yeah. It's, it's, the first one's pretty good. All right. I, I yeah. will add it to the list. I got it. All right. Uh then Snowman. Yeah. yeah there was I a, a movie that I kept seeing in Blockbuster. I'm really dating myself by saying that. That was called like Jack Frost. Which yes. is about an evil killer snowman. So I yes, mean, it had it had the uh, the the 3D cover where it was a snowman. Then it got nasty looking. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I saw uh, that a lot too. Yeah, I'm sure a bottomless Dra- snowman will could. Yeah. Yes, uh, dragon bat. I think th- that's that, in but... this film. I feel like that's created for this film because they have yeah. you know <laughs> they knew that's yeah. what they were using. <laughs> so I think that vampires. Like, yeah. Duh. Ding. <laughs> Dismemberment goblins. Which I I can't think of anything specific for it, but I think that was just the, I mean, goblins is a very horror, like old horror phrase, and dismemberment goblins makes it all the worse. Sugar plum fairy, which is uh, uh, yeah. Again, part of I mean, part of this whiteboard is about taking things that are seen as like these happy things and then really subverting them. Uh, Then we've got the merman. Uh, uh, we'll which, talk about of it. course, and and actually next to the merman, it shows Hadley bet on the merman. Hadley's again. the only one who won, who voted for the yeah merman. who voted for the merman. He wants the merman so bad. Uh, oh, the come rea- on. <laughs> the reanimated yeah. uh, unicorn, which I just adored. Uh, I love it. and the music cue when the when the, the when, when the unicorn kills the per- I, yeah I noticed that the, the 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 music becomes very happy and and orchestral ah. and beautiful and then he just and the, and the unicorn doesn't just run the guy through once it withdraws the horn and then does it again and again it's just uh, then the Huron uh, which I had to look up 
which references there's a uh, just sort of a generic Native American character who we can see killing somebody in the background. Huh. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, Sasquatch slash Wendigo slash Yeti. If you have not seen Exists by director uh, Eduardo Sanchez of uh, Blair Witch fame, it is the best uh, Bigfoot Ooh. movie I've ever seen. It okay. is scary. It's essentially it's essentially five kids go into a cabin uh, to try and catch footage of um, of Bigfoot, and Bigfoot shows up and fucking kills them. Ooh, um, cool! It's really good if you haven't seen it, um, and not just because Ed made it, but it's it's good on its own without knowing that. So yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, dolls. Oh yeah, I watched saw okay. saw a movie about a doll. Saw yesterday Chucky. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, Annabelle. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the doctors. I, I guess Doctor Giggles. Yeah, I've seen Doctor Giggles, but yeah. yeah, not so much. Uh, zombie redneck torture family, of course, uh, which was the Buckners. Uh, maintenance one for that as well, but they had to split the pot with Ronald the intern. Uh, Jack O' Lantern. Ronald the intern, by the way, played by Andrew. From played Buff- by Andrew. Yeah, yeah that was, was. I love him. Just great. He's in a cool uh, play right now where he plays Tilda Swinton. Um. Oh, cool. Yeah, anyway, go. Uh, then Giant. And then lastly, we have The Twins. Which, uh, which would have been just the, the Shining. Shining. It's just The Shining. Yeah. Why isn't the ballerina listed? Um, the ballerina might be the sugar plum for it. Now, here's the thing, though. This list, I was because I was looking for this. The When they do the pullback later on to show all of the creepy crawlies that are in, like, the stable, um, uh-huh. there are far more then appear on the list. Like, for instance, the little, the weird mechanized robot with the buzzsaw for a tail, yeah. like the scorpion buzzsaw robot, that's not on there. But um, specifically, you would assume that this list is all the things that they might choose. Yeah, I would imagine the, that the ballerina the, the, would choose. The, the, the ballerina them. is one of those choices. Oh, that's true, because there was the mute, because they actually have the music box there. I mean, yeah. maybe the Sugar Plum Fairy? Yeah, maybe but... she's a... Sh- yeah, that makes sense. Sugar Plum Fairy is from... Um, and what's interesting... And, from the and I would say that maybe they've only listed the people who have been bet on, except there's a number of blank slots. Like, nobody bet on the Dragon Bat, nobody bet on the Dismemberment Goblins. And the Dragon uh, Bat kills no- more people than anyone. <laughs> yeah, and no one bet on the Sugar Plum Fairy. So. interesting um, um i also so, it's it's a, like you can find for anybody you can find an image you can find a screen cap of these things what's really enjoyable is what we've got here is the two movies side by side on the left you've got all of the creatures from the dark on the oh, right cool. you have all of the departments in this facility you've got communications r&d kitchen staff maintenance zoology like that's kind of cool that's interesting. Yeah, that that zoology in particular. Um uh my other favorite moment is as a horror fan, when they go down into the basement and they find all the things. Oh, it's it's, so it's like funny. a gift. It's, it's it's one of those moments that it's a gift to everybody who has uh, you've heard me say it before. I love movies or art or anything that basically it makes you feel smart for knowing the reference without alienating the people who don't. Um, the stable that they go into, uh, every there's so many little Easter eggs and stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, and It's so fun. If you don't know any of the references, the point still comes across very, yeah. very clearly. 
But if but, you know uh, it and you're like, ah, oh, that guy's doing the pinhead thing. Ah, oh, he's going to blow on the con. Oh, and just <laughs> the idea that they all might do it and then one of them does do it is. Yeah. It's so fun. Oh, it's, it's so great. Fun. Um, So I guess the next obvious scene to talk about would be the 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 sex scene in the woods. Um, yeah, which I think is important. I think it's an mm-hmm. important scene. Um, because it is a, it's a, like it's an indoctrination. Not indoctrination. It's it's not damnation. What's the word I'm looking at? Where it's a, it's accusing, it's accusing the audience, right? Um, it's oh gosh, I know what you. You know what I'm kind of trying to I, say. I kind of know what you're going for. Let's go with accusing the audience for now too. Yeah. I mean, in that sense that. The all of the creepers standing there in the facility, all of those science, those male scientists in lab coats, just staring up at the screen, just hoping for a glimpse of my God, a a female breast. Yes. Uh, that young hot female uh, breast. Re- and and you know what? There's a part of my brain that's doing that too. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, like right now, as I'm talking about it, my mind is flashing back to that image. And yet, the movie's not saying that that's okay. Hmm. It is absolutely. I mean, they do play like it's interesting. It is definitely played for a comic moment. Uh, there's no denying that. But well, except they're gone by the time she strips. So oh, you're right because they there's that yeah. moment that they think she's going to, and then she doesn't, and everyone goes oh, and, then and that's the comic moment. Yeah. And then when she strips, it's still the exploitative. Here are my boobs that they do yes. in horror. That's right, because then, because then Hadley says score, which yeah. to me, but he says it in a way that's not like sweet. I got to see your boobs. It's like, okay, this was a crucial part of the ritual. Yeah, but it's it's also I think very going very much going like you're supposed to feel really off about how exploitative this is at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this is also the most torture porny. Of the deaths of 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 these characters, like she Agreed. is, like She's she is torture porn. She is naked and exploited, and her body is ripped apart. And mm-hmm. we watch it, and it is, and it's slow. She sees it coming. It's yeah. Um, yeah. but we are these guys. We horror fans, horror fans like me, we are them. We are the ones who. This is the. This is what we came for, and it's sort of like mm-hmm. this is what you came for. Don't you feel good? Yeah, the movie's kind of doing that. It's to the movie's credit that it doesn't alienate its audience. Um, yeah, in doing it this way because it could. Well, and it's not as fun as co- that's why There's the something comedy darker going on here. Plays a good point. It is a let's laugh about this moment. Let's. You know, there's nothing, it is both accusatory and just a part of the film. Like, it it invites self-reflection without forcing it upon you. It's the next step past Scream, right? Where Scream is, hey, look at these horror movie tropes. Aren't they weird? Aren't they funny? But here we're doing them Mm -hmm. anyway. This is taking the next step and going, aren't they weird? Aren't they funny? Isn't it a little fucked up? This movie is one of the best examples of... uh, any kind of meta commentary that yeah. I've ever seen because it does the scares so well. Like the, I, Kelly and I, we watched this film for the first time. Uh, we were in living in Queens in New York city and it was, <laughs> it was literally during, during Superstorm Sandy. And you know, every single one of us, us, our friends, we were all, everyone was just hunkered down 
waiting for the lights to go out because we knew it was going to happen at some point. And so we said, well, what, you know, let's watch some Netflix. And so we said, let's watch Cabin in the Woods because, and as it turns out, a lot of our other friends randomly were watching Cabin in the Woods at the same time as well. Um, and we had, a, we just had a delightful time, uh, you know, clutching each other at the scares and the, the tension builds and all of that. Like it, it hits all the moments really well. And to me, that is always the best satire. And I would definitely call this film a satire um, because it comments on its subject matter. But to me, the best satire is always, I'm going to comment on this, but do it really, really well because that actually lends uh, credibility to my arguments. Um, I think it's a good point at this point to talk about... um... Uh, the kills because it's a horror movie and there are kills and I don't want to talk about mm-hmm. the kills in I I will not call it the initiative I will not call it Wolfram and Hart I will just call it the yeah. other place um, mm-hmm. um, but specifically the kills of these characters and how it works as a horror movie um, yeah. I feel like her kill is particularly brutal and if I were watching a Friday the 13th movie mm-hmm. I would find this like when I'm in a particular mood to watch a Friday the 13th movie this is exactly the kind of scene that I love um, yeah. uh, and I, there's something it is there's something very human about it like you're talking about okay so you're much more into horror films than I do I don't usually have the stomach for them specifically that slasher being said, yeah, this is a slasher um, movie this is a slasher movie yeah um, I normally don't have the stomach for slasher films that being said as a fight choreographer in theater um most fight choreographers and stage combat people that you meet are very pacifistic in real life, like cool, very chill people. But the amount of morbid delight we take in creating sometimes some really twisted violence on stage, it is, uh, it is a strange dichotomy. I always like to joke that, uh, you know the old joke, the aristocrats, how every, yes. comic, every comic has their version of the aristocrats um, in the same way. Every fight choreographer has their version of how they would kill Macduff, uh, Mac- how they would kill Macduff's wife and children in uh, Macbeth. Everyone's got a take on it, um, and they're all delightfully twisted. Um, so there is something very human in this reveling in uh, deliberately dark, morbid, twisted stuff. The problem um, is, is when you make them three dimensional characters, the way that these people started. Um, it's much more upsetting. <laughs> oh, you know, that's a very good point. Yeah, you know, the 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 topless bimbo in the woods who gets who gets you know you know vivisected mm-hmm. by Jason. You know, was actually did, deeply concerned and helpful to her friend in scene one. Yes, who who is not someone that you've ever cared about. It doesn't linger so long on her eyes. It's you know it's about mm-hmm. you know the kill, and this is about the kill as well. Although they cut back from the gore in this scene. Ooh, um, you know what I would say? It's sort of, um, in slasher films, it's about the kill. In a film that is meant to hit you harder, it's about the death. Yeah, and, and, it, and it really does like go, this is what you wanted, aren't you happy now? It yeah. kind of, it feels a little, like I said, the fact that it, it does not alienate its audience when it does that is, um, is really successful. So, mm-hmm. um the other kills, uh, um, we, I mean, we Marty doesn't die until the end, so we can't really talk about his kill. His kill is, you know, pretty much the same. You know, he's 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 clamped by the chomper thing, and then he, you know, mm-hmm. 
you know, he, he uses, can we talk about his bong for a second? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the greatest, the greatest thing. That's a pretty awesome. That that is pretty awesome. The fact that it collapses into like uh, just a coffee travel a portable coffee cool. cup is amazing. But it's also an effective baseball bat because, of course, it mm-hmm. is. Um, because why but, not? So you really only get two other like horror movie deaths, which is Chris Hemsworth's character, um, which her, his death is is I assume your favorite. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'd say a favorite, but it is quite um, it's quite effective for what it does. The again total undercutting it's this big heroic moment um like the music swells as he literally jumps with his motorcycle over the thing uh and then the the camera pulls back the music stops he slams into the shield and he just ragdolls the whole way down it is um is it funny you know, it's, I don't know if I'd call it funny. You know what I would use? I would use your phrase, which is, it's disrespectful. Oh. Yeah. It is deliberately I've heard audiences disrespectful. laugh at this moment. I've well, heard and, audiences and, laugh. And, and that's the thing. It, it, it definitely can evoke laughter, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean something's funny. Um, try, and, and again, referencing fight choreography, uh, you cut someone's head off on stage no matter what the actors are doing, the audience is going to laugh because laughter is the natural reaction to seeing something so horrible, but you kind of need to do something to react to it. So laughter is the closest thing that you know. But it's uh, also kind of a joke. I mean, let's be clear. It's, it's a setup. It is, you know, what's, you know, the, the, what is a joke? That's a joke true. Is, yeah. A, jo- a, a mm-hmm. joke is set up and then, and then when. And that is a hell of a punchline. Yeah. 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 When, when, when your expectations turn left at the end, that's a knock, knock joke, right? Knock, knock. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what's happening. Uh, who's there? Uh, eucalyptus. Eucalyptus who? Now, whatever I say next, if it's not what you expect, eucalyptus, my hair too short. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's not a particularly funny joke, but what, but when it's funny, it's because whatever that moment is, it's so opposite of what you expect. It makes you that it, it, it evokes a jocular response. Um, mm-hmm. And in this jocular, case, very nice. That is absolutely. I you think maybe he's going to die. Maybe he's not going to maybe make it. Maybe he's going to get cut in half by the. But the last thing you expect is just bloom. Bloom. Yeah, that's true. It's not just that he dies. It's the particular manner of it. that. Yeah. Um, Holden's death was. I mean, yes, there was the jump scare, but other than that, there wasn't anything particularly noteworthy about it. Um, I do Dana on the dock, where we think she's getting killed. Um, that yes. was great. The The fact that we see her screaming and fighting for her life and all sorts of horrible stuff, and the camera just pulls back until suddenly it's on a monitor. And then not only is it on a monitor, but nobody's watching the monitor. They're all just having champagne and having a party all around her in yeah, the background. That's the darkest moment in the film for me. That's the yeah, darkest. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, They're having that is the party, absolutely. and let's be clear, her death is not necessary. It is within their power at this point to pull her out mm-hmm. and say, you did it, well done. And like, they're not it, even giving her the respect that they gave to Jewel, like with Jules, it was actually a prayerful moment of, you know, we offer this sacrifice in a... They know, almost give her respect, still... but then tequila is my lady. My lady, yeah. In, in the theater, it was so jossy and funny that I laughed, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really funny. On this watch, 
I didn't laugh. Oh, it's I was so you see that it, it is the moment that you see uh, Hadley just essentially having that moment of if I go any further, I'm going to acknowledge the horrible person, the monster that I have become because of this situation. Yeah, because let's again, be really, really clear. And, and, she doesn't need to die. And yeah. later in the film, it's not her ignorance of the gods or her ignorance of what's going on or anything like that. If she had shot Marty at the end of the film, everything would have been fine. It was mm-hmm. absolutely okay. No problem at all whatsoever to yank her out of that, to extract her from that situation. Yeah. There, was, there would be no, there's no value in her mm-hmm. dying. The only just don't the only value care. to them not revealing themselves would be potentially the amount uh you know the shitstorm she could bring down if the existence of that facility went public um sure. in which that's case the you only could just like think. you know like you know ender you know like like okay just yeah. gas the although place. if the, if if they've got ke- and then if they've got chemicals that can reduce your cognition they probably got memory wipe stuff too. yeah so, but whatever that's it is cannon. that they would need to do they didn't need to have her on the mm-hmm. they didn't need to watch her they could have just turned it off they could have yeah. it was just absolutely accepted the most and the fact that it kept playing in the background is so it's really dark it's mm-hmm. really really dark yeah. um and then the movie shifts and becomes a totally different movie um, oh yeah then wow what a curveball with it it's wonderful um so so marty uh, has figured it out. He survived. They go down. They go in, and and we get the mm-hmm. the the elevator ride down. Um, yeah, which is Christmas for me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the elevator ride down is like the just greatest gift wrap thing for someone just like you. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, it's just like here's here's all of them. They're all here. Mm-hmm. And Every you think single that's one. That's gonna be enough. There's a world where they didn't have enough money to do what they did. And they go down to the beginning, to the end, and they're offered the opportunity and, you know, and things go differently. Like if if they Mm -hmm. say, hey, your budget's got to be cut by, I think the movie's almost as effective in what it's trying to do as a horror movie and a commentary. But it's also kind of like a massive action movie. Well, it's, this is where the, this is where the love letter, like, remember how I said this is both love letter and hate mail? Yeah. The stable and showing the animals from the stable and everything and all that they do, that is the love letter. Very much so. Yeah, um, letting them out. That is because, of and- course, as soon as you see all these Now, that being said, I have to say that as I was watching through this again, um, the fact that there's a big button called System Purge uh, that really anybody can access without any kind of key or anything like that, that's a plot little button. deus ex machina. It's a, it's a, big, pl- it's a big old plot button. Um, and, uh, but that way, you know, again, that's, it's and our minor. And main characters are really expensive to use. Those are some, those are some well-known actors. We need to, we need to fill the room with extras and just let them die for a while. Let's just let second unit yeah. do, do some stuff for a yeah, while. Let's just, we got, we got a second director for a reason, right? Yeah. Let's a second unit. Just go totally different production. It's a totally different mm-hmm. movie. It is a completely different movie after that. And I love yeah. it. I love everything about this movie. Oh, yeah. You like watching. I mean, that's the thing is that like as a horror fan, like you love watch. You revel in every kill. But this isn't um, even horror anymore. At this point, this is no, this is fight choreography. This is just like this is it's, it's become sci fi. Yeah, it's it become at that point. 
it becomes a delightful romp. It does very, very yeah, much. Yeah, so. in this strange way, including with the, you know, you do you do weep for Hadley a little bit and his death, um, which I have to say, okay, I love the fact that they set up Hadley's just like desire to see a merman, and uh, and his counterparts like, no, no, trust me, you really don't. They're hideous. They're hell to clean up. And then when you see the merman, it's like, oh God, that is just vile and disgusting. Oh, you and see, then, no, I thought it was even better than that. I thought the merman kind of sucked. Like, I thought the, the merman wasn't scary. The merman was just like, it was, it looked like a big old rubber monster. Well, I, that's true too, as well. It was a very ugly I, I, rubber here's a, monster. Here's a movie with, with amazing horror effects. This is not an accident that it looks like it. There's not an accident that Hadley's the only one who ever voted for this guy. Um, mm. The fact that it, it still that's kills true. him plenty effectively. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, I think that's the joke. That's the punchline. I mean, because think of how horror, think of how horrific other things looked in this movie. Think of, yeah. think of like Although all the I, amazing I, I had a slightly different reaction. I mean, yes, it was clearly rubber mask work. Um, and clearly the merman, compared to like giant snake or things like that, the merman, it has to crawl along the ground. Like it's not nearly as effective Slops. as the other stuff. Um, but there was something about its ugliness that was really disturbing to me. And I, and wow, do I have to say the concept of like, after it like dives into Hadley and starts eating him, the blood coming out of the blowhole that effed me up. That was, See, that, that would, that, that was, that, that was twisted. one of the biggest laughs for me in the whole film. Oh no, it, it is both a laugh and a stomach twist at the same time. I was like, oh, I can't believe they did that. Like it was, it was a great moment. Um, so, um, so in terms of the, uh, the amazing makeup effects, I'm just gonna, um, right now give, uh, credit where it's due. Um, and normally mm-hmm. I would call out who did it, but I've got to, in this case, um, AFX studio, uh, uh, handled most of the effects, uh, run by, uh, David Leroy Anderson, um, and his wife, Heather Langenkamp. Now, if you don't know Heather, those names should mean something to me. She's Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. No kidding. Yep. Yep. My uh, how the she, wheel turns. Uh, she, uh, yeah, she runs this makeup. Studio. Now she still acts. She's still in, you know, a bunch of stuff, and she does a bunch of stuff. You know, like five documentaries about Elm Street and about being Nancy and stuff. Um, and I've met mm-hmm. her a couple times. She's really, really nice. Um, uh, and still, like, for being like a woman in her fifties, super hot, by the way. Um, and I would never say super hot about like, you know, about someone my age or younger, but like, mm-hmm. this is someone who she has aged into not just, boy, she's, she's very pretty for her age. She is like, is it okay for me to, for me to say smoking? Cause she is, she is just sure. gorgeous still. Um, awesome. And, and she's gotta be, she's, she's gotta be 55, 56 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is, uh, super talented too because look at what happened in this film uh she went on to work on yeah. um she went on to work on uh, star trek into darkness uh is like her film like done oh go figure so yeah. she is uh she is pretty awesome but i just want to let's call that yeah that's awesome um let's talk about the end what yeah. did you think of how it ended um well there are a few phases of the end um specifically uh Let's just call them two. Uh Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. Um and and the Tarantino esque, you know, who what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen. Um I never thought that they were gonna turn on each other. 
I didn't like it didn't ever make me think that was really going to happen. It was just a tension builder. I was never sucked in by that. I liked the you know the reveal of what it was. I thought it was good enough. Mm-hmm. Um then you have the last phase which is the last, you know, 45 seconds which is the, the last mo- the realization that oh shit, the world is going to end. Yeah. Maybe. Um a giant evil god. Would have liked to see that. You know, look at humanity. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it's time to give someone else a try. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I, I turned, I turned on the the end just slightly. Um, mm-hmm. In that, and maybe it's because I'm a parent. Um, but I don't care about the adults. I don't care about me or the people around me or you or you, dear mm-hmm. listeners. If the world's gonna end, it's gonna end. But there are, you know, there are kids out there that kind of don't deserve to be stomped to death by giant evil gods. Mm-hmm. And there's no benefit to the main well, I mean, character. That's the thing. There is a tremendous ethical case to be made for, I mean, the director puts it very well. She says, you can either die with humanity or you can die for humanity. Those are literally your only two options. And you're um, literally <laughs> going to live Oh God, they're both so enticing. Yeah. You're yeah. going to live 40 seconds longer mm-hmm. if you yeah. die for it humanity. Is a, yeah, it is a there's a there's a tremendous ethical argument to be made for Dana pulling the trigger. Um, I, I I think I think the ethical argument is for Marty to go for Marty to take the gun and kill himself, or to say to Dana, "It's mm-hmm. okay, it's the right thing to do." Yeah. Um, um, but I think the the feel of the film, like I was thinking about that, I was thinking it's like, okay, would I like the film more if Marty had done that? And then I was realizing it's just like because. There are horror films that just end totally bleak where, you know, well, shoot, even the first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street um, with the surprise, oh, no, Freddy's still around uh, thing. Um, I don't know. I kind of. It was I was surprised that they went there with the end. Um, well, and that's what Joss does is right. He subverts what you think is going to happen. There yeah. is no at before she gets attacked by the werewolf. That's a conversation that you get to have after it's clear that she's going to die. Is the Mm -hmm. tone of the film bleaker with the two of them dead on the ground and and, you know, mission accomplished, the world gets to continue. Is that bleaker or is just going over the top at the end going, you know, with the slightly silly hand? It's not like you see the world burn. It doesn't it's not like Terminator 2, um, Mm -hmm. which is that right now in 3D. I got to go see it. Um uh, it's not that. It's a giant evil hand that you see at the end. They're not showing you the awfulness of the destruction of humanity. It's meant to be over mm-hmm. the top and a little tiny bit and, silly. Yes, and it's also and it's meant to just sort of it implies what's to come. Yeah. Um. The um, moment uh, I always remember it was actually Gary Larson, the guy who did the comic for the Far Side. Uh, he always he said the the moment before what's to come is filled with tension and is so much more interesting. And what he was describing was the, uh, there was one comic that he did with uh, chefs, uh, like the, the final comic is these two chefs, and, uh, they're star- and there's a lobster in a basket, but essentially it's, uh, it's a dunk tank, and the lobster is like in a basket above the dunk tank of boiling water, and the chef is just standing there, is standing across the room holding a ball. And so you get this clear sense that the chef is going to like throw the ball against the target to du- that they're competing to see who can have the lobster go into the dunk tank, which is twisted and funny. Um, in the original comic, that the original draft that he wrote, the chef had already thrown it and the ball was in midair. And, uh, 
and I was reading a commentary that he wrote on it, and he said he said I he went back and he was like, I think the moment before holds more tension, which creates more humor. Yeah, uh, I, and, and I think and I think that by making a silly big giant hand, um, I think you're going that you're just going okay. Look, balls to the wall. He, look at this. Let's just do it. Let's mm-hmm. just fucking. We're do ending it. the fucking world. We're doing because it. because your other um, option is soft mm-hmm. piano music playing over as as the camera right. pulls out as, to as their the camera two pulls dead bodies out. on the ground. Yeah. So um, what leaves you the audience member more thinking like that was fun because the movie's supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. So what makes you think the movie is more fun at the end? Clearly the ending is clearly the ending that's just that's true cuz what what you leave with the um both of them are very powerful endings. Um the the ending with the soft piano music, which you are absolutely right, that's what it would be, it would be soft piano music and a slow pullback of the, There's of the, the dead camera. bodies on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, it leaves you, it leaves you with a bit, little bit of a twist of the knife. Yeah, um, it leaves oh you, thi- it, it leaves you thinking as you leave. You're, you're leaving, the, you're leaving the, the, the theater going, <sighs> yeah, um, which also would have been really cool to sucker punch people like that. But that's um, not what the, the movie ending that they to be. no the ending that they went with was a you kind of go with a well shit they went there you clap your hands okay. you laugh a little bit and you walk out as yeah and you're like okay play. wow yeah um so yeah that's an interesting right point choice. yeah um yeah. and being and 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 it being kind of cut by him going giant evil god you know is 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 mm-hmm. is really funny and it and it works um yeah. may I now talk about the thing yes go ahead go ahead so kevin smith uh uses the actor jason lee in multiple um multiple iterations of his film by the time he's played banky edwards um and has also played brody uh in um in both Mallrats and chasing amy and then when uh kevin smith made uh, jay and silent bob strike back he even had to have uh jason lee in both roles um, because mm-hmm. both of them were instrumental to the plot. If we are to accept that uh, that this is Fred's long lost sister, that that it's possible for Amy Acker to play um, multiple characters we should, within. We should we should preface this um, just for those listeners and everything. Justin is about to go into his epic uh, description of how this is actually a continuation of the rest of the Whedon verse. Buffy, not a continuation. I think I know where it falls. I think this is the other story. An extension, the same time. then. It's the, an it's extension. The, you know that episode of Buffy the Zeppo where Xander's going around having his adventure while the apocalypse mm-hmm. is going on? Mm-hmm. I submit that the final episode of Angel is the Zeppo to this movie. And that the world ending at Wolfram and Hart at the end of Angel, the explosion of everything out into that uh, alley in L.A. Mm-hmm. that they're facing as the world is kind of collapsing in around them and, uh, and Wolfram and Hart is, is, you know, is falling apart and you have essentially the end of the world. That's the moment when the e giant so, gods show up. Well, the only thing with that is essentially, so literally nothing that angel did, uh, provoked anything. It just happened to be coincidentally be that, uh, so it's not like, killing the circle of the black thorn would have provoked an army to attack them. They just happened to kill the circle of the black thorn on the same night that the evil army rose because of these gods from uh, Cavern in the woods there. It's all connected. It's all intertwined. It's all that robs angel of his heroism. 
I think. But it it's in one hand, it maybe Angel could have have stopped it from happening. Maybe this is the mechanism by which it happened. Maybe this was the second front to try to stop it from happening. Maybe I mean here's the thing, it robs Angel of its heroism, but why the fuck were Team Angel not helping out in Sunnydale when the world was about to end there? They just, you know, Angel showed up and then went home because Buffy was like, you should probably go home. At which point, Hero Angel kind of should have said, um, I appreciate that you're not ready for me to be here, but my whole team is here. And I've also mm-hmm. brought the initiative from over here. And the survivals of the Watchers Council, they've all come too because this is the end of the world. And they don't. They all play their part. In the Buffyverse, everyone goes off and plays their part. You know, why... At the point that this had all gone wrong, did the soldiers just not all show up and shoot the fool? Why did they not just gas the place and make sure that he was dead? <coughs> Everyone kind of has to play their part. And I think it's possible. Maybe it's because I was a co- Oh, you're a comic book reader now as much as I ever was. Um, there's a series that happened in the 80s called Inferno where uh, the X-Men and X-Factor and Excalibur and the New Mutants were all in their own adventures in this big giant thing that happened, each thing that they did had to go right for the world to, to continue. But if any one of them got it wrong, the world ended. And if they both got it wrong, the world was certainly screwed. I'm um, just saying. Here's the thing. I should say, uh, from a meta standpoint, um, doing this as an exercise in having fun connecting dots that were never meant to be connected, I think there is a certain charm in that. It's the same thing of the... The unified, like the unified Pixar universe theory. Sure, um, and and the and the, the and that theory is proposed by a YouTube video, which is then the same people who do that YouTube video do this this concept of the Joss first being mm-hmm. connected. And that's the thing. As an intellectual exercise, it's fun. It is, as I've said before, it is a delightful romp. Um, taking it too seriously, oh, yeah. to me. I know is uh is a danger um just because it well for one thing it denies an artist the ability to create multiple things if if everything that Joss Whedon never creates is looked at through the filter of well how can this connect to all of his previous work then it you know it denies him the ability to just do something completely different um, on the other hand on the other hand mhm the, the truth of the matter is, I believe that this is what these guys were familiar writing with. I think they probably did sit down and go, look, just let's just do Buffy versus rules. We got three days to write this. And let's assume that we've got the money to do the things we could never do on Buffy. So well, what do you mean Buffy versus rules? All right. For instance, you are talking about a universe in which the world was originally populated by giant evil gods, which were then expelled and kind of put into a nether region where they could mm-hmm. then come back up. And what they're being held back by is a shadowy organization with a heavy science department run by Amy Acker. It's kind of the same thing. The whole and, and if you ignore the Illyria portion of Angel where they talk about how the world was actually populated by the gods and the demons that we see here in the earth, they aren't real demons. The real demons are the gods from before who once populated this world. Like, mm-hmm. Amy, like, like that is, that is, and yes, I know it's Lovecraftian, but it is so 
down to the casting of Amy Acker as the head of the science department for this organization, it is clearly comes that there's a world where they could be the same. Whereas I don't think, let me propose a counter thought to that, which is the, yes, they deal with very similar themes. Um, Artists have, you know, and writers, they deal with similar themes. Stephen King, you know, it's not the only thing he does, but the great majority of the things that he's written have been horror. And there are certain tropes in that. Um, you know, Joss Whedon, he's got strengths that he plays to when he writes. Absolutely. And this is Joss Whedon um, and Drew Goddard. The, Keep in mind. The yeah, ones no, who a- were exactly. But saying together. that they have to be, saying that they have similar themes is one thing. Saying that because they have similar themes, they need to be in the same universe is another. Uh, I would also has, say has similar I would, histories and rules, I think. Is my I would also. Well, yeah, no, of course, the themes are the histories are the themes. Um, the the uh, and I would also say that uh, the casting of Amy Acker could just as easily be because um, a Joss's history of casting people who he's worked with before and likes them, and b Amy Acker does a really good job of capturing both um, sort of a softness and innocence. A she captures heart with capability. What you want in that role is a scientist who does her job, but at the same time shows a little bit more of a softer side, feeling, empathizing for the sacrifice victims than, uh, than the two men do. I mean, specifically, there's that moment in there that, uh, you know, that the security guard asks her, you know, like, oh, are you celebrating too? She says, no, no, they're celebrating. I'm drinking. Um, yeah, Amy and Acker I- is on, on like... That's a character archetype there, and Amy Acker is a good role to play that character type. Yeah, I, I hear, I, I will say this: I can envision a to bring K- Stephen King into it, a um, a Castle Rock type universe where they're both in the same universe, but not really. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's mm-hmm. the the Stephen King's universe is one universe if you get to the book. Where it is one universe, but if you read yeah, those I mean, books and, and Stephen King, Stephen. But the thing is, is, Stephen King is actually very in, uh, and specifically in the Dark Tower, he is very explicit that he's like, oh no, this has all been one universe. Um, yes, but he's not he, saying he that comes, until the Dark Tower. If you read, if you read Cujo, there's no indication that Cujo is related to Carrie, is related to mm-hmm. ne- needful things. Yeah, but I mean, so here's the thing: it's is it possible? Yes, um, I think it's a... Do I think it is? No, let me be clear. I don't think it is, but I do think as, as an exercise of what, what really happened is that these guys had three days to write it and they said, okay, let's start off. Buffy rules, Buffy rules. Okay, we start with Buffy rules. Old gods, okay, got it. Let's tell a different story. Mm-hmm. What's the story is? You know, we don't, we don't have time. We don't have three weeks to build an entirely new universe with entirely new rules. It's Friday. We want this out by Monday. And this is, you know... It can certainly start from the same from the same place as as mm-hmm. Buffy did, and we'll go in a different direction because that's what we're comfortable doing. And we got, like this is the language that we are we can finish each other's sentences in this language. So let's just write it in mm-hmm. this language, and and no one will complain. It'll be good. And I think that's probably what happened. Um, it's possible. You, you know, it's you know, it's the the movie that I'm right the movie that I'm writing right now. Could it fit in with Ninjas versus? Absolutely. Why? Because that's kind of what I know. And what I like doing and the people I'm going to do it with are going to be people who sort of understand that language. Um, mm-hmm. um, but it's I just think that 
you have to acknowledge, especially the existence of the old evil gods having been expelled and that that particular trope being done by the guys who did Angel Season 5 that at that point was just like two years old. Like mm-hmm. it's it's it it is very specific. That's all I'm saying. Is okay. that is that it's yeah. that it's worth comparing and it's fun. I would you know what I would say. I agree with you that that's not the case. But damn, I would read that fan fiction. Yeah, no, that's true. That's uh, I mean, and again, that's it's like I said, it is. It can be a fun exercise to connect dots that were never meant to be connected. Um, you know, and sometimes you can discover new stuff from that. Um, spinning off of that, I'd like to talk about the. Um, so people have brought up the whole thing about the metaphor of this as a commentary on the horror industry uh, in general. I've read reviews that have said, like, well, clearly we are meant to represent the old gods because we're demanding a very formulaic kind of ritual sacrifice. Um, and that is certainly a way to look at it, um, that this is really just meant to be a, a critique of us as an audience. Um, the one danger and this is just t- not just talking about this, but about uh, um, just uh, movies and stuff in general. Uh, the best, when we're talking about metaphors, symbols, and allegory, uh, famously, J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis had very, they were very close friends. Uh, both of them wrote very successful fantasy novels. Um, both of them had very different takes on allegory. Uh, C.S. Lewis loved it. Um, I can't believe that I missed it as a kid, but you go back and you read the Chronicles of Narnia now, and you're like, oh, it's the Bible, just like straight up. Uh, you know, because C.S. Lewis, his whole point was, in writing it was about sort of retelling the story in, in a way that made it even more appealing. Uh, whereas J.R. Tolkien despised allegory. Uh, he was all about sort of creating things from whole cloth. and. Uh, you know, and yes, there is a ton in the Lord of the Rings that is meant to be symbolic, but what those symbols mean to each individual person is different. Uh, the same is true with Moby Dick. Uh, as my dad said, he's like, it's clear that the whale is meant to mean the whale in Moby Dick is meant to mean something, but Melville never specifically says what it is. He asks the question, but never answers it. Uh, so. I, I say all of this because talking about as I was watching the movie this afternoon, part of me was tempted to sort of really go into the, okay, well, in this moment here, what is he saying about, uh, you know, horror films and the writing of horror films? The fact that these characters have been twisted and sort of... And I realized that by deconstructing it to that level, I was actually enjoying the movie less. Um, for me, I feel like the best way that I experienced this film was actually taking it at face value. Uh, which is sort of just there. There's these old gods, and like, like absolutely, just going wholeheartedly into that. And then after everything was set and done, using it as sort of like a jumping-off point for you know little thoughts here and there about, oh yeah, I guess a lot of horror films really are quite formulaic, and oh yeah, it's interesting. The you know the characters are less interesting when they do it that way. Um, I mean, I don't. Here's the thing. I think that they're much more C.S. Lewis than they are Tolkien. Um, it is, you know, the, the director of the movie has stated that, mm-hmm. that, that, that the reason they did it is that they didn't like where horror movies were going. I'm inclined they, to agree. I'm inclined to agree with you on that. Um, um, I guess the thing is for me, is sort of like, 
it's more sort of the realization of it's like, that's probably what they were going for. I enjoy it more if I don't think about it too much. You see, but here's the thing. I enjoy it more when I do. And I'll tell you why, especially with this film, is because it's happening in the text of the film. Like the analysis of these characters being this character, these characters is deliberate within the text of the film. They are deliberately being turned into these characters by Mm -hmm. another force who are turning them into these characters on purpose because that's what the ancient gods need. Um, Very true. And so what it's saying is it's saying that these that, that, that they are becoming these tropey characters because... You know, this is a section we would normally talk about tropes. I don't think we need to go into mm-hmm. all the tropes because of the yeah, this entire the film is this entire film is one trope. Yeah, or um, it, it talks about tropes. Um, but I think that it's um, it much more than Scream, where Scream is just commenting on the film in that the characters are commenting on on horror films at the same time. In this case, yeah, well, go ahead. No, no, please. Um, I was thinking. I th- I, I take your meaning with that. Scream was a film that said hey we know all the tropes in horror films and we're going to go ahead we're going to tell you that we know them and then we're going to go ahead and do them anyway and it's still going to be an awesome horror film um and that was scream this is a film that says hey we know all the tropes in horror films we're going to go ahead and do them anyway and we're going to leave you questioning whether horror film tropes are that good scream is the necessary like texas instruments ti-84 that had to happen in order for this film, the iPhone, to eventually come out. Ooh. Um, uh, <laughs> I love the very specific models that you chose for that, but I, uh, I agree with your I agree with your example. So um and I found, you know, I think that on first viewing, thinking about God help you guys if you listen to this to decide if you needed to watch the movie or not. Um, what are you doing? Like you should <laughs> we you should have watched it. Oh, like, should we have had a spoiler warning or something? No, no, I'm like sorry. I'm not going to go back and put that in. It's your, it's on you, friends. Responsibility. Um, yeah. Um, There's but, a statute of limitations on these things, damn it. Um, but especially when the podcast says it's a review of, of Cabin of the Woods. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think we were going to talk about? Hey, remember our Game of Thrones? What? No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with, the, with the thing happened and the guy did that. Um, and someone died? Yes. Damn it, Joss. You know, whenever someone dies on uh, Game of Thrones, we still say Do damn you it, say Joss. damn it, Joss? We still say damn it, Joss. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh. George R. R. Martin took death to a whole other level. Well, well uh, you, you've, you've heard, you've heard the, uh, the, the, old, the old joke that, um, that uh, Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon, J.R. R. Martin, and uh, I don't know, let's choose someone else who does it. Um, who's someone else who kills everyone? That, uh, um... Fine. J- Joss Whedon and J.R.R. Martin walk into a bar and everyone you know, know and love dies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I always love the George R.R. Martin one, which was he said once, he's like, every time someone asks me when my next book will be killed or when my next book will be finished, I kill another Stark. <laughs> That's <really> funny. <laughs> yeah, um, right. <laughs> anyway, um, I think that that my enjoyment of it was enhanced by the analysis this time around. Watching and noting that the characters were where. We're not the fool, the athlete, the virgin. Yes, I will say the transformation of the characters really jumped out at me this time in a way that they completely didn't in the first yeah, one. Like like the fact that she was they they show her in her underwear at the very beginning of the movie. And it's not mm-hmm. just I've seen movies with girls in her underwear. This underwear is deliberately form fitting sexual. It's 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 it is not what the virgin, it's not what Nancy wears mm-hmm. in Nightmare on Elm Street. 
you know, she is, you know, Tina, who is quote unquote the whore. Tina is is the one who starts the movie in her underwear, not the mm-hmm. other way around. This is yeah. this, they, they are they are complex characters that have aspects of all these. She's she's also the brain. She's also yep. the studious one. She's also, you know, she's also funny and hung up and has like 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 watching them devolve into those characters um, is is part of the fun of the movie. So I like, I like that, but I mm-hmm. think that the, the indoctrination of us as the audience, I don't think we're the giant evil gods. I think that we're the two guys who, who we're watching it and, and it's almost becoming passe. Um, mm-hmm. And, and should we be okay with these things that we're seeing is a question that the movie asks. And I can Fair see enough. how, yeah. I can see how it might detract from enjoyment. It certainly did. But no, I think that that's a that's a good point. I will um, say this. It detracted from my enjoyment of Jules's death. I did not enjoy I what like when she was like like swinging her butt around and making out with the wolf and and if you were to say hey in 10 minutes you're going to see her boobs, you know, that that you know animal that that animal part of my brain which shouldn't think this way about someone who is a fully realized human being and I shouldn't think about other people this way and I know that and yet, that and yet that part of my brain is like I get to see her boobs. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. when they finally give me this thing that the animal part of my brain wanted, I'm left thinking it's so exploitative. I get to watch other guys. <laughs> well, this like is me. hollow. I get to watch other guys like me watching her. Yeah. At the same time. And I'm like, oh, I would have enjoyed <laughs> that moment better, but I would have thought less and and been affected as a human being less if I that's, had just that's gotten a very good Jason. point. Yeah. So maybe my the, uh, enjoyment I'm, isn't the only thing that it's about. True. Um, there is a I'm gonna take this opportunity for a spin-off point. One of the things I think I want to do with uh when we go into totally super is sort of like that if you liked this, you might enjoy this. Um what this reminds me of a lot, there's a video game that I played a few years ago called Spec Ops the Line. Uh, which didn't do great. Uh it didn't sell very well, but for anybody who is really into first person shooters or like military video games. This is a must play because much like uh, Cabin in the Woods, it basically, it gives you everything that you think you want from a military first person shooter and then makes you feel really twisted and bad about it. Like the, uh, you're not selling it basically it either. <laughs> hmm? No, but I mean, well, I, and that's it. No, this is one of those few times. This is one of those first times that, uh, you know, I've actually played a game and it's just like, I'm not enjoying playing this, but I'm. It's like, it is a work of art. Uh, it is affecting me. The, you know, when it first starts, you know, the loading screens, you know, essentially say things like, you know, you can take cover behind certain objects in order to, you know, in order to dodge bullet fire. And, you know, like very, you know, tutorial based stuff. And uh, by the end, it's, it's loosely based on, basically it takes Heart of Darkness and puts it into the equivalent of modern day Iraq. Uh, like, it gets really twisted, really dark, very hopeless. And like by the end, after just as a soldier, you're you know, you're down behind Emily lines, you're you're having to fight your way through literally hordes of soldiers for no particular reason other than because that's what you do. Uh the you know, the the loading screens for the next level, suddenly they stop saying things like, uh, you know, be sure to use your rocket launcher when you can or things like that. And literally they say things like so do you feel like a hero now? And 
Oh my gosh. And uh, I think, and then my favorite was, you're a good person. It's okay. Like, Whoa. it just, yeah, exa- exactly. It's, it is absolutely the, we're going to give you everything that a military first person shooter game should have and then show you why all of this you should really think about. Uh, um, so I think that's a great segue into uh, the final section of, uh, the of final our show, section, yeah. which is the rating of the film with uh, on mm-hmm. a scale of one to ten. With uh, yeah. with Here, let's here's say, my thought: you let, you use your scale, and I'll use mine. Well, no, I'm going to use yours. Let's use let's use yours. Um, I like okay. Yours. Um, so where five is five is um. It's fine. Five, five it's is fine. Like, that was five. Five, five, is, five is like you feel okay. It it was a it was a decent way to spend three ninety nine. Yeah, renting five. A movie. Yeah, five. Five is if I was in a good mood, I didn't waste my money. Yeah, where 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 you know eight where 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 like one and two um is one and two is that this movie is a terrible film. I I you know like I said Batman and Robin um where this film hurt cinema. And and made cinema worse, and and you should it, it is it, it needs to be banned mm-hmm. as, as as one of the worst movies or or eight or nine being this was incredible this was Avengers this is this made my heart sing this is Star Wars oh my gosh mm-hmm. this is so great but with zero and one what with zero and ten being reserved for you know being reserved for the true life ch- on ten being like a life changing ten is Schindler's List where where you you really need to. It's one yeah. of those things that you really kind of like you, you you really have to. Yeah. Ten is a ha- ten is a is is a is a is a have to see. Star Wars might even be there because it's like you got to see at least one in order to sort of get the vernacular, the culture. It might, but it's got to be that level of it's mm-hmm. that yeah. ingrained for for your life outside of movies. It's a mm-hmm. good thing for you to see it. And then zero is the other way around. Is is you know if you see it, you know it's faces of death. If you see it. It might hurt you. Shame, you yeah, it's a, and, and, shame and, on you and the people who created this. Yo, yo, if if we were to say on, on, on the moral scale, if if porn is a one, this is porn where afterward the camera keeps rolling and you get to see the actress crying as she confronts her father. Oh, jeez! <laughs> like, like you know, wow. I, mean? I was, you know, it's funny. I was listening to Sir. I was listening to our podcast from last week, and I was thinking, wow. I was the. I, I had a couple twisted little things in there and everything. You're, you're really the one delivering Por- the. Porn, my hat porn, is off to you. Porn, dear porn God, is watching those YouTube videos of like ISIS, like porn is, like, or, or what I mean, zero is like. Don't mm-hmm. watch this. It's not. Good Don't for watch the world. this. It's it's not yeah. good for the world. Um, and Don't I will say there are certain there are certain uh, there are certain little pathways beyond the spectrum that we can get to. So, for instance, there is uh, there is always the category of so bad it's good, uh, like the room, which is by all definitions a one film, and yet magically becomes a film that is totally worth watching because of its horribleness. And I'm going to wait um, to see The Room until the movie about The Room comes out, which the trailer Until the movie about The Room comes out, yeah. Oh, and then you should totally listen Have to the audio Have you seen the trailer for it? About the, yes, it's magnificent. Yeah. With James Franco? It's great. <laughs> James Franco, just him doing his take. Um, so yeah, okay, so that being said, uh, let Cabin. me go first here. I am going to put Cabin in the Woods up there at a... I'm going to say uh, an eight. Um, it is, I mean, it's not the sort of thing that I like go to tell my friends that, oh my God, you absolutely have to see this. It's just the most amazing thing. Um, it's not a movie that stayed with me a few days later, but what it is, especially on watching a second time is meticulously crafted. Um, 
the parts of it all work. Uh, it's just a it's just a phenomenally well made movie that it it has a mission. It achieves its mission in a fantastic way, um, and uh, yeah, it just it sets its genre. It's it sets what it wants to do and knocks it out of the park. So I'm going to call it an eight as well, in that it is uh, an eight point five for me and a seven point five for the rest of the world. Um, so I'm going to I can I'm see that because you. I was going to say it's like I mean, and an eight is possibly as high as any horror film could possibly get for me. So here's because so here's it's not my genre. Nine, if I'm reserving ten for Schindler's List and and Star Wars, and and nine is reserved for you know Force Awakens, which is really good, mm-hmm. but it's not. You don't have to see it. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's you know this is not Force Awakens. It's not gonna. I'm not gonna say this is up there with Force Awakens. Um, what I am going to say is for people like me that de- de- delight in in quirky, smaller, le- lesser known movies that are gems that you weren't expecting. Um, mm-hmm. This is this does not rate as highly as, let's say, Scott Pilgrim, which for me is a nine. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's in the ballpark of Scott Pilgrim and Serenity. Um, it is this this little the, this little movie that could that should no way have been as as awesome as it is. And yet is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I do think that, you know, I can't. I, in fact, I might have to push it down to a seven for the general populace in that there's I can think of a swath of people who wouldn't like her or enjoy this. Um, yeah. And, and wouldn't get it. Um, so mm-hmm. so maybe I'll call it a seven point five in that it's really a six point five for my, my math is bad, but it's like a six point six point five to seven for your general populace. Um, mm-hmm. like my mom and my dad and a lot of people who don't like horror, if you put, put this in front of them, they might actually probably kind of enjoy it, but they're not going to walk away going, mm-hmm. it was amazing. But for people like me who are schooled in the things they're talking about, it's oh, so it's, it's, great. It's just gift wrapped for you. Um, yeah. so yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to call it a, a 7.5, um, with the caveat that for some people like me, it's way higher, but I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta say movies can't just be made for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, so like, like for instance, Ninjas versus Monsters is, is, in my opinion, one of the greatest movies ever. I got to make it exactly the way I want it to be. It's just, <laughs> it's exactly how I want it to be. It's perfect for me. Well, Why they not do. I mean, the thing is, they do, they do say, make the movie that you want to see. I yeah, so. I did. I love that film. Anyway, so that's that. Uh, um, <laughs> we have two uh, proper episodes of, of, uh, pop off left. I won't say that it will never come back within another, uh, conversation. Cause sometimes you and I might want to talk outside of the realm of totally super, but, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to do one last, uh, conversation about Joss Whedon. Um, and then, uh, you're going to join me for a little bit where I'm going to get in some other people who've been on pop off and talk about, um, about pop off and about, uh, pop culture and what it means to us. What's and been then going on for, yeah. Um, how long, just out of, <laughs> Just out of curiosity, how long ago was it that Ninjas vs. Zombies was made? Ninjas vs. Zombies came out in 2008. We're old, my friend. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. And so did, officially so did this whole network because the suck cast um, mm-hmm. was from that and that is part of Geeks Radio. So so that's where this all started. Um, so there's and that. Then, yeah. uh, and then we're going to take a couple of weeks off and then we will be uh, jumping into Dr. Horrible Singalong Blog on... To uh, begin the totally, the totally Super, super podcast. podcast. But podcast. for now, my totally name is Justin. Super. And I'm Arthur. Pop off. Pop off. The Totally Super Podcast is coming to Geeks Radio. Justin and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. 
Search for Totally Super Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Totally Super Podcast 2017.